0: Welcome to the podcast, Fatherhood Perspectives on Righteous Intentional Parenting, where two guys discuss and explore the challenges of parenting. They share their experiences, ideas, and perspectives as they search for ways to be better sons, husbands, and dads. Here are the hosts, Joseph Winkle and Taylor Greenhall. Good to see you, Taylor. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Phil. I've had a great week.
1: How about you? I have also had a great week, which is nice. Isn't that nice? We can sit down together. It's a good way to start off a a little conversation, both feeling positive. But I have. I have had an exceptionally good week. Um, Just yesterday, my wife and I and our family were able to uh, go to a sacred place uh, with our daughter to our temple. And uh, she was able to go there uh, for her first time with us. And it was... It was just a, a great thing i think about when she was baptized today she's our oldest again this is our our daughter who's just married i just think about it was just like when she was baptized i was so excited we'd never baptized a child before um there was some preparation to it getting you know white clothing and things with like our baptism and then it just kind of happened this thing you're building up for and then it just happens but it was it was just sweet it just was a great day. I haven't even had a lot of time to process all my feelings from that day, but it was a great day.
2: That's awesome. I love hearing about your kids and your experiences with your kids because I know that's what I'm looking forward to with my kids. And I think it's interesting that as your kids mature, those experiences kind of take a a, a bigger, have a bigger impact on you and on them. Uh, you 've got kids that are married or getting ready for college or graduating high school i 've got kids starting grade school, so I love talking about it with you because I know what i 'm looking forward yeah. to with my kids. So. A little
1: forecasting yeah yeah, yeah. ten years you 're going to be right where we 're at so <laughs> it is it, it is fun it's fun for me to reflect. You get to look forward a little bit and uh, but I feel the same when you tell your stories about your young children it brings back those beautiful times and you know every see I've you know we wanted to have kids so badly Um, again it took us seven years of trying to have children before we did and then we had seven children in nine years and so it was different for us I think than a lot of people you know when our first our daughter Alexis was born I mean we just you know seven years of trying and praying and waiting you know it was such so much rejoicing in that and then Wanting to just care for her. I actually remember um, she burnt herself on the glass of our fireplace once, her arm. And, you know, this is after telling her multiple, you know, pushing her away. She was probably two. And I just remember seeing that little circle on her arm and thinking, oh, my gosh, I've ruined this perfect thing. Like you broke something. (laughs) you You scratched something new. And I was just like, oh, man, I've... that's." it's that's it she's scarred she actually will have a scar she didn't have a scar but that's how ridiculous we were (laughs) with the first one we were so careful so worried uh and we were grateful though
2: it's interesting how life teaches your kids lessons right your daughter learned that the fireplace is hot but it also teaches parents lessons you know our kids are a little bit more resilient than maybe we thought they were and maybe we don't have to be as protective and that's tough, though, letting life teach kids some lessons. But
1: It is. That's a, that's a great point. It, it kind of makes me think about where my thoughts have been today with her in particular being our oldest because it is fun to talk about parenting now that we feel like we've kind of been through th- that part of it. You know, we feel like we've reached a stage, which is what? From them coming to your family, raising them, letting them learn on their own, And then they've left the home. She's now married and and living her own life. And so there is some perspective in that. But, uh, yeah, I I think this is a good point to to talk about is, is, you know, our kids are resilient, and we will make mistakes. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to suffer. Does that make sense? So maybe the pressure doesn't have to be so high. I think of, again, I think of uh, with her, so you know seven years of waiting um we went all out on her room um it looked like a picture from pottery barn i mean it was like custom shelving molding paint wallpaper it was just beautiful this whole room about this little tiny baby that of course didn't know the difference right and then nine years later we have our last child and she was in a pop-up crib in our walk-in closet she (laughs) literally had nothing we were crammed in a smaller house and uh you know does she know the difference i'll tell you one thing though if you look at those two at 10 years old because my youngest is 10 now and if you would look at my oldest at 10 uh you would see the difference of parents letting kids just learn Mm -hmm. and parents really kind of helicopter parenting you know hovering yeah absolutely um certainly a lot of benefits to letting your kids have a little space and trusting them and trusting the process but Well, my my daughter Lexi, it's funny that here we're at this place with her. um, It's so nice because uh, it wasn't too many years ago that she was a teenager and we were going through those teen, difficult teen years with her. And of course, a lot of that had to do with us, not really the age, uh, it's how we responded to it. And it was Lexi who actually taught me um, a really one of the most profound lessons in parenting that I think I'm learning. I'm still learning it, still letting it affect me. And that is that we are often forcing our kids, forcing our kids not to trust us and not to believe us by the way we try to help them, which is a strange idea. Took me a while to put those into words. I don't think I've got it yet, but something like that.
2: It is strange, and you and I have talked a little bit briefly about this before, Joe, and I'll admit the first time you had mentioned it to me, because I know it's been on your mind and on your heart a lot, the first time you mentioned this idea to me, I, I will admit I was a little defensive, kind of going, no, not me, that seems a little intense, that seems a little intense, I don't know. Uh, and uh, a little bit later I was reading in a a book about parenting and the author mentioned pretty much the exact same thing that you said is some of our practices if we're not careful can lead us down this path to where our kids say well I don't know so I'm anxious to talk a little bit more in detail about it because uh, I feel like I'm more open to discuss it now than the first time I heard the idea from you so I'm I'm anxious to talk about it well I like that you should give me that book
1: because she probably that author probably thought more about it than I have but it's just interesting that I think of the moment that I I started to see something I'd never seen. And here's my daughter who's probably 15, 16 at the time and she'd gotten home late, passed her curfew, she hadn't answered her phone. We're pretty conscientious parents. We're, we have very clear rules and expectations to protect our kids and to, to help them learn um, independence safely. But uh, she's in our room, and she and we're like, well, you know, you broke the rules, so now you're gonna have to, you know, you lose a little bit of your curfew time for the next week, and you know, you didn't answer your phone, and and she's like, fine, whatever, whatever you want to do. She's resigning herself to um, the punishment she knew would come, the consequence to her action, and but it wasn't really having any effect on her. She didn't seem remorseful she didn't seem to even regret it she was kind of like whatever you want to do and i was like well then i i guess maybe we'll need to take your phone for some time too and she's like fine and she tossed her phone at at us we were in bed and uh and then i you know started getting emotional and heated up and and i started thinking well let's get more creative here how can we make this hurt you know let's teach this lesson and she just stopped in the middle of our back and forth and she said you know we don't have any relationship. She's like, I feel like right now I could just leave the house and uh, I wouldn't even care to come back. It was kind of silence for a minute and I just started laughing. And she's like, you think that's funny? And I said, no, no, I do not think that's funny, but it is the truest thing you've said tonight and it's probably the truest thing to you know say where we're at. Um, I think you're right. And she went to bed, and and we had time to think about that. My wife and I spoke about it for a while, but it just wouldn 't let me go right you know that that this daughter, who we waited seven years for, this daughter that we prayed for that we were i mean i can 't even tell you the day she was born, she was the most beautiful thing i 'd ever seen in my life even i mean the nurses actually were all like that 's a really beautiful baby, no, really, we see a lot of babies <laughs> she was beautiful. <laughs> But for me, and to think that now, 15 years later, we have no relationship. And she could just walk out the door. And and it was real. And so that's what kind of broke me into the
2: concept here of what are we doing
1: to make this happen? Because I would have thought it was all about her.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's got to be terrifying, right? Because you're probably replaying in your mind what's happened over the last 15 years to get from where... You have this beautiful child that you've waited for for so long in 15 years, which goes by pretty fast. I've I've heard getting to the teenage years, and you're going, "What's gone wrong? What's yeah. What's the difference between 15 years ago and right now that's made cause this friction?" Yeah, exactly. And
1: and you do, and you know, with us, her being the oldest, we still had six kids coming right. along. It's like exactly. we didn't have time to just say, "Oh well, I guess you know." We had to figure it out, or we're going to have the same issue. And so, as I pondered on it, this is what I've come up with, and this is just my own, my own thought. You know, you think of a child as born into a family. Think of this child, a, a weighted child. I mean, the rejoicing. and again, my wife literally held her when she slept. like she wouldn't put down, so she could go get the stuff she needed done, she would just keep holding the baby. and that's how how happy we were had. Uh, happy we were to have her. And so then how do you think her life was as grown up? Everything she does is a joy. The mistakes she made is the problems. And uh, she's the center of our lives. And, and she can feel that. Babies, kids, even teenagers, they feel how you feel about them. Mm-hmm. You could say nothing, and they feel how you feel. A, a good example would be you walk into a room, and somebody's really upset. And, you, and they don't even say a word. But you could feel that tension, that anger, that frustration. You can feel it from them. It's the same when, you, when you're around someone who just loves you, and they just love you perfectly. Um, and so imagine a child's growing up, and everything they do brings you joy, and they feel that they're bringing you joy, and then you're, you're expressing that joy to them. It's this wonderful, perfect time. And then they start, you know, learning to do things, they learn to understand your words, you start to learn some communications, and then all of a sudden we start focusing on correcting. Right. Instead of, you know, all the things they're doing, well, oh, don't worry about that, that doesn't matter. You know, focus on what we're, you're trying to accomplish. And that is where the shift starts to happen. When our, our focus goes from teaching to telling, from nurturing to punishing, you know, there is a shift, but it's not the child that shifts. It's the parents. And that's, that's kind of the concept here.
2: Yeah. So let me ask you this question, Joe, as you talk about this, because you're right. What do you think causes that shift? Because you've mentioned before, you know, teaching a, teaching a child to walk, or a child learning to walk. And when they fall, we don't correct them. We don't say, "Hey, I told you, you got to put one foot in front of the other, and you got to do this to balance." We just encourage them, right? Mm-hmm. We just encourage them and invite them to walk to us or walk to mom. So, what do you think causes that shift where we're well?
1: That's that's a that's a perfect example. Imagine um, a parent when a child takes its first steps, stumbles, as they all do, and saying, "Well, look at that! You can't walk. Right. Look at you! You can't even put one foot in front of the other." You're never going to walk. That's ridiculous because we all accept the idea that that's the process. But you know why parents don't do that, I think, is because they do trust the process. They trust. They never have the thought, unless maybe there was some external issue with the the health, that their child won't walk. It's never a thought. So there's never a fear that they won't walk. If there was a true fear... That if they didn't teach their kid right, or if their kid made some mistakes, that that was going to bring a lifetime of not being able to walk, or a lifetime of suffering, uh, you would have parents talk to their kids that way. There would be a lot of pressure on them not making mistake while they're learning to walk.
2: Yeah. So fear. Fear is it. we have mentioned it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, I remember when my first son was born, uh, immediately I was holding him. I remember immediately being tempted, almost by these feelings of fear, because I was going, "What's the first day of kindergarten I'm going to be like?" Oh, and then he's got to learn to ride his bike, and then he's going to get a driver's license, and then this and that. And uh, it was almost immediate for me. I don't know if other dads feel that way, but I had to work really hard to to be in the moment with my son, especially at that time when he was a brand new baby, um, and I'm. Interesting. T- interested in talking about fear a little bit more because one thing I think it does is it takes you away from that moment when I was holding my newborn son or even as a teenager, maybe fear takes you away from a teaching opportunity or an opportunity to really bond or connect with your child uh, all because we're feeling fear, this emotion.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're talking about forecasting fear. You know, I, I love the idea of being in the moment and having that presence of mind to push off the... I mean, anxiety is a real thing. Uh, parents for sure have anxiety about the future for their kids. A lot of par- parents aren't becoming parents because they look at the world and they're so worried about a child's suffering that they, they'd say, well, I'm not even going to go down that path. Um, so, yeah, fear is uh, the issue. And uh, what happens in my mind, and it's subtle, it starts small, and then it grows and grows until you're looking at a... You know 13 14 year old and all day you're just walking around saying why can't you pick up your socks every day I have to pick up your socks why can't you just pick up it seems like a simple thing you know that's if you're gonna be successful in life you have to learn to clean up after yourself or uh, you know that experience why can't you just give us a call if you're gonna be late you know I mean we've given you everything you have Do you think you could just care about us enough to call us for letting you go out? I mean, these are the kind of conversations. I'm telling; these are the things I, you know, have said. I don't think I've said anything about socks with my kids, but (laughs) the idea of a constant process—you become almost unwittingly trapped in this cycle of of criticism—and with the idea of somehow teaching them out of mistakes. Right. When mistakes clearly, just like in the walking analogy, is following pros- falling as part of the process. I mean, imagine imagine someone who immediately could walk and never learned how to get up. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I
1: mean? Like they could be running along and think, Holy cow, look at that kid and then they fall down and they cannot get up, like a turtle on its back. In the in the the falling and the mistakes is the learning and the process. Obviously, there's lessons we don't want our kids to learn. We don't want them to suffer great pain. But at the same time, to think that we're, we can avoid, help them avoid pain by criticizing and, and overshadowing everything that they might do wrong would, is just the extreme of, uh, of not parenting. It's, it's, it becomes constant correcting, criticizing, and uh, who wants to be around that? I mean, imagine if there was someone in your life who was doing that with you right now as an adult.
2: Yeah, if you had a coworker like that, you'd avoid that person, oh. right? Yeah. And uh, a thought I had that I think is interesting is I often feel like fear, this emotion of fear, is very deceiving because we do these things thinking that they give us some control over the situation. I'm constantly telling my son what he needs to do when he's learning to ride a bike, he'll never crash, and then he'll never get hurt, and I never have to respond to that, and then riding his bike's just gonna be this easy experience that he loves to do. So I feel like I'm in control, especially when you're trying to establish boundaries or rules in your home. You feel like, I don't want my kids to ever make a mistake or get into a situation where maybe they uh, have to make a decision on their own, so I'm going to control the situation out of this fear that I feel for those projected experiences. When in reality, um, maybe it has the opposite effect; it might cause you to lose control.
1: Yeah. Oh well, that and that. What? Where? Where does fear take us? To anger.
2: Right. Fear
1: always leads to anger, and any parent who has <laughs> teenagers, or I mean, you know, at any age, can think of a time when they got really angry at their kid. If you look deep enough, there's a fear as the seed of that anger. And what happens when you're losing your temper, you're yelling at your child, you're, you know, are you teaching, are they listening? A, a child that sees, again, think of this this baby who, who realized that everything they did, good or bad, brought you joy. They're laughing, you're laughing, as they fall down, you're, oh, get back, oh, it's so funny, it's so cute. Everything they do is a joy to you. And now they have that same person screaming at them and for something they did. Um, yeah, it, it really creates that distance. And I think that's a really great point, that it's a, a deception, that that if we can control things, we can protect them. Well, you know, we can look at, we could all think of someone we know right now who's a very controlling parent and say, they're just pushing that kid away. But boy, we don't look in the mirror and see that person. We don't want to see that person, but, but it's always the same for everyone. When we try to control, fear thinks, makes us think, if we can control things, we can protect them. But fear and control are not parenting strategies. They will only lead to your child getting further from you and you'll have less control, hence the anger. you know. In in our conscious mind, we're thinking, oh, if I can control this, I can protect them. But somewhere deep inside us knows we are losing control the tighter we grip, the control slipping away, and it's terrifying for us Mm -hmm. to think of our kids off in the world, this painful, hurtful, dangerous place, and and we're not going to be able to do anything about it. But that's the realization we have to come to. There will come a point where your kids will be on their own, and you won't be able to save them. So let's start. Let's make sure we foster a relationship that when they have those hard times, they want to come to you for help, support, um, wisdom, guidance, instead of saying, Well, the last thing I'm going to do is tell my parents I messed up because all they do is scream and yell and get upset and tell me how terrible I am. And that is the reality that I would say, you know, 90 something percent of parents are dealing with right now.
2: One thing you mentioned, Joe, that I think is interesting is our kids going out into the world and, and us feeling like we don't have any control. One of the things that I think is in a really important role of a father, and it works really well in a dynamic with a father and a mother, is preparing children for the world while they're in the home, while they're growing up. And um, it's an intimidating task because there still comes that day. I remember the, the, my son's first day of school, of kindergarten. I felt like that was his first real experience where we took him to school, dropped him off, drove the other way. And for six hours, or well, it was a half day, but a few hours, he was there on his own in a brand new, scary, intimidating environment. And I, I, <laughs> That was a tougher day for me than for my son because I said, for, five, for these last five and a half years, have I been doing what I need to do to prepare my son for this day? And I imagine that magnifies as your daughter says, okay, dad, I'm moving out or I've met this guy that I'm gonna marry and I really like him. Um, I imagine that feeling of, okay, have I done enough to prepare my child for this real world experience is, is you know, exponentially greater. But I wanted to ask if you, if you want to, we've talked about fear leading to anger. How does that, how, where's the bridge connecting that with this idea of our kids not believing us or trusting us?
1: Well, I'll give you a good, another story is the best way to teach sometimes. So I walked out of a restaurant the other day with some good friends. It was at night and we were, they had to be somewhere, so we are hurrying. And right as we walked out the door, there was kind of a crowd of people waiting to get in. And as I'm walking through this crowd, I hear this guy say, and now you're a liar. You've done this, and then you did this, and now, and you've lied, and now you're a liar too. So something the kid had done earlier, and now he had just, in the father's eyes, said a lie. So he, here's a father saying very loudly, you are now a liar. And I turn to look to see who he's talking to, and it's like a four or five-year-old child, a boy who's probably running around and you know there's they're there with a couple kids, they have some young kids probably stressed out. And I just stopped and I just thought, you know, I wish I had a minute to put my arm around this guy and just say, Do you know what just happened right there in that moment? The this child who I mean it's probably his oldest kid and a son who thinks you are the world. You are the source of truth. You are everything he wants to be. You just told him he is a liar. You put that on him. Well, kids can't. The young children are very black and white in their thinking. There's no gradations. There's no him saying, oh, dad might be having a tough day. He probably didn't mean it. He hears his dad shouting with emotion, you are a liar. And, and what is that kid going to do with that? He's going to either accept it because what? Because my dad is the source of truth. What he that's says right. is how the world works. So now I'm a, a liar, I'm a bad person, and, 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 and they just go down that road. Maybe start, if he believes it, he might start acting that way. He might start saying, well, if that's what I am, that's what I should be. Or he can try to protect himself and preserve his thoughts that he's a good person, a five-year-old child, for goodness sakes. And then he has to come to an understanding, well, then my dad doesn't tell the truth. My dad actually is the one who does Again, kids are black and white. Now, before everyone goes and hates themselves for the times they have labeled their children with their behavior, you know, because um, we've all done it in some way, mm-hmm. you know, at the height of our frustration and our, you know, at our wit's end, and, and just, uh, and then parenting is hard. Know that this is something we've all done, and children are resilient. My daughter and I, like I said, just had an amazing day together. And uh, she called me the other day. We talked for an hour. And we've gotten past that place um, where she would want nothing to do with us. Um, so there's, there's a place that can come where that can be healed and restored. Otherwise, no parents would get along with any kids because we've all made those mistakes.
2: So what do you, what do you think has worked well for you and your daughter? I've heard you... This isn't the first story I've heard about this particular daughter. It sounds like you have a pretty amazing relationship. And if you rewind back to that experience when she came home after curfew at 15 and said, we don't have a relationship, at that moment, did you ever think you'd get to this point where you could call your daughter on the phone or she'd call you and you could have an hour of conversation with her and have such a strong relationship? And if so, what do you think is... How do we get back to that point?
1: That was a great question. You know, I I had to think while you said that. It started with a hope. A hope that, honestly, that the Lord would know the way to bring that back together. He can, he's a master healer. He can heal anything. And that's probably what started with me was my faith in him, turning to him, um, repenting, trying to change. Um, asking for forgiveness, um, something I do regularly with my kids, I ask them for forgiveness and, uh, and that I'm wrong. I think that's really important. Um, so, it, it, of course, it starts with that. How do we repair the damage that's done? How do we rebuild trust? Well, you, you would for sure need to apologize. You need to not focus at all on their part in this I mean that's the first mistake people say well I'm sorry I did this but is because you did all these things that is uh, do not do that stop with I'm sorry for what I've said I'm sorry for what I've done I'm sorry for the things that have happened that make you feel like you can't have a relationship with us Um, it's okay to say because guess what you know what I'm new at parenting you're my first try I'm sorry, Your kid, the rest of your siblings are going to be a lot better off because <laughs> you're strong enough to overcome these our mistakes and weaknesses. And, you know, that is a conversation we've had. So the first thing I would say, be sincere, apologize, ask for forgiveness, and then make a decision that you're going to try to do better and, and let them know that. And then they'll be watching really closely. They might even try to see if they can get you to make those mistakes again because that's now what they believe, that the relationship is a relationship of just they can't do anything right and you're the one to let them know. And so they might want to test that out a little bit. They might make a lot of mistakes consciously, subconsciously to trigger those feelings within you and you'd have to be very strong to not fall into the same trap. So, yeah, apologize, stop the criticism and uh, really start focusing on the positive would be the, the first steps. What do you think
2: about that? I think it's awesome. No, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I like to go back to this analogy of, of um, kids taking their first steps or learning to ride a bike or any of those things that they do at a really young age. We're always focusing on the positive there, like you said. We're yeah, never saying, well, you took two steps, but golly, you fell after that. I was hoping you'd take five or six. We say, oh, my gosh, you took two steps. That's amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, you or, Did you see how far you rode that bike down the road? Yeah, That was you, pretty awesome. You don't even think
1: about what they've done wrong. So we're trying to get back to that kind of parenting, which means we have to get rid of the fear. Uh-huh. And, and that's, that's hard to do. Again, at this stage, you're, you're in that part where uh, your kids are six and eight. And, uh, about that age. Yep. And, um, so there is some correcting and there's some teaching, but still mostly it's very positive and joyful. Um, I'm sure there's parents out there right now, just like me that are in the place where when you talk to your kids, it's like, Hey, I need you to get this done. I need to go and take care of this. Why didn't you get this? I mean, cause you're just in that really busy stage. Um, so I, I think a good practice is, is to set a goal for yourself you, could, you should write it down where you can see it. You don't have to write it out so they understand. And the goal would be to say, to give three sincere compliments, praise, something positive about them, um, a day. Now, it's funny, because I've thought about this. Three things a day. When you think of a child, a small child, and how much love and positivity they're getting, it's constant, it never stops. But I'm telling you right now, there's parents out there who will have to think hard to come up with three sincere, positive things to say to their kids. And it's important they're sincere. Kids are experts at um, insincerity. And they can spot it a mile away. So so I, I think that's a really good first step to switch things up. You don't even have to have a big conversation. You could literally just say, number one, I'm not going to say anything negative. Number two... I'm gonna try every day to say, and it could be anything. Um, you're really great at helping me clean up after dinner. I probably haven't said that. I'm sorry. I'm always trying to get things done, but I sure appreciate that because guess what they did just help you. not right. beca- you know. So I think it's important to be sincere. I think that's a good first step, three things and then and then there's other other steps that come, and maybe we can have a conversation on how to build and repair relationships and reconnect with kids. I think there would be a lot of parents that want to think more about that. And that's something we're learning to do, my wife and I. And at any age um, is an important tool to uh, to grow and to hone and sharpen is, is how to build strong relationships and how to reconnect when those relationships have struggled.
2: That's great, Joe. I- Appreciate these conversations with you. I think it's a good starting point, you know, getting that habit of focusing on the positive. And I just want to say you're, you're, the wisdom that comes from your experience as a father always shines in these kinds of conversations. That's why I, I love having these conversations with you. I learned so much.
1: That's very kind. The the wisdom that's come through much pain and mistakes <laughs> and suffering, like every parent out there. And that's probably what I would say to finish, to finish things off is just to say, you know, if, if you've heard something today and you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. That's right where we're at. And then you're starting to feel those pangs of, this is something I've created. Do not lose hope. Do not despair. The reality is there is a way to heal all things. And you can start today to change. The, begin, the first step is to recognize that this isn't going the way you want. And there's a, there's a way, and, and I can say, By my own experience that there's even a better day to come I used to think there was no better days than Mm -hmm. those times with her when she was young my best little pal but seeing her grow into a wonderful young woman and to see her take what we've taught her and build on it she'll be a far greater parent than we were and we'll get to be a part of it because We have tried to do our best, and we have tried to keep a relationship, and we haven't given up. So don't give up. Don't despair. There's better days ahead. Just hang on and uh, trust the Lord to guide you in this process.
2: That's awesome. Thanks, Joe.
1: Thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk again next time. Thanks again, everyone, for listening today. Feel free to share this with someone you think it might help, and we'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to our channel. Have a great
0: day. We are so glad you could join in on the podcast, Fatherhood, Perspectives on Righteous Intentional Parenting. You can find us on all the best podcast sites. Please subscribe and share. And be a part of the conversation by sharing your ideas, posing questions, and making suggestions. Drop us a line at fatherhoodperspectives at gmail.com. That's one word, perspectives at gmail.com. This segment was recorded and engineered by Jim Fugate. The music for this podcast was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alitu, the podcast maker. Find your own free music over at thepodcasthost.com slash freemusic.